0: Lord, these are such familiar words. Help us to see them with fresh eyes. Speak powerfully to us. The disciples wanted to learn how to pray, and so do we this morning. And we pray that you'd teach us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, they are well-known words. Clearly, the, the, the section that we're looking at this morning is the subheading, uh, which, uh, if you've got that still open, you can see, it says prayer. So, uh, as we come to look at this this morning, I wonder if I can ask you, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? I mean, I, I wonder this morning how you approach the subject of prayer, how you feel about your own praying. And I suppose that that kind of question, if we're honest with ourselves, it provokes, I suggest, probably two feelings at the same time. Uh, We feel, on the one hand, we sort of feel, you know, how's my prayer life? Not very good. Um, it's very rare to meet somebody who says oh yeah I'm brilliant at praying I've really got that one taped I'm such a professional prayer I have really nothing I can learn about this nobody thinks like that no we all wish um, that we we all acknowledge that we're not very good at prayer Uh, we don't pray very often and when we do we probably don't know what to pray and we might think well I'm too ill-disciplined too inarticulate too doubting to really be an effective prayer and so on the one hand we're kind of but on the other hand we're kind of longing to be better at prayer, I mean, probably all of us would say, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a really lively and flourishing and healthy prayer life? Uh, everybody deep down, I think, really wants to pray, even people who say they're not religious. They keep coming back according to various different polls which have been done. People say they're not religious, but they still pray. Uh, I'm a big uh, Eric Clapton fan. I was reading his autobiography a few years ago. I was amazed at the end of uh, his autobiography. He says he tries to pray every single day. Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, said, I've been driven upon my knees many times by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go but prayer. I think that's all of us, isn't it, really? You know, we might not be very good at prayer, but if we're not, and we'd love to get better, actually, we're in good company this morning. I think we probably all feel a bit like that. And uh, actually, the, even Jesus' disciples went to him and they said, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. And so we're in a series um, this morning, all the way through Lent, we're looking at real religion. I think we've got a little slide up, which we can just leave behind us here. Real religion, that's what we're looking at over these Sundays in Lent, because Lent is a time to get spiritually fit. And so we're working our way through this Matthew chapter 6. If you look down, you can see uh, last time, or two weeks ago, we were looking at that first chunk, giving. Uh, Next time, next week, we'll be looking at fasting. Um, This week, we're looking at prayer. And what all of these are, they are exercises, they're spiritual practices, they're spiritual disciplines Um, that will help get us into shape. But as any fitness instructor will tell you, it's possible to exercise wrong. Um, So imagine somebody decides, right, I want to get into shape. They're going to sign up for the gym. There's that new gym opening up in the high street, isn't there? And so perhaps they rather gingerly wander off to the Aztec fitness rooms. They're a little bit nervous Uh, because they haven't been a member of the gym before but they think well I really need to do something about my spiritual about my physical health and so there they are they they uh, wander through the door and they um, are stood at the desk talking with the personal trainer looking very muscly uh, behind the desk and thinking right uh, I'm going to give over my details and sign up for a membership and with some trepidation they sort of look over the shoulder of the person that they are talking with, and they can see behind into the. There's the gym. There's all the machines and the weights. No, no, no idea what any of them do. Um, and everybody's working out, but there, in the middle of the gym, is somebody who clearly really looks like they know what they're doing. They are working up a real sweat. They're there at the machine. They've got all the, you know, they're dressed up in this wonderful kind of bright uh, gym kit. And the person who's taking the details, the fitness instructor, can see, or very impressed. And um, with this person and just leans forward and says, do you see that person over there? Pay no attention to them. They don't know what they're doing. They might look like they're uh, putting on a great show, but actually they're never going to get fit by doing what they're doing. In fact, if they carry on like that, they might do themselves more harm than good. If you want to get really fit, come and book into my personal Fitness exercise regime, and I'll show you how to do it properly. And that's a little bit like what Jesus is saying to us in these sections of Matthew chapter six. He says at the beginning of the chapter, be careful not to do your righteousness in such and such a way. And verse 5, he says the same thing. And when you pray, don't do it like this. And so here we are, if we're here this morning, we're a little bit nervous of prayer, we don't really know what we're doing, but we'd like to learn, well, we're in good company. And so we're having this series, real religion. We don't want false religion. We don't want dead religion. We don't want hypocritical religion, which is what Jesus says some people are up to. We want real religion as Jesus wants us to have it. So Jesus is going to give us some pointers about prayer. He's going to tell us the who, the what, and the how of prayer. Who to pray to, what to pray for, and how to pray. If you like, the the object of prayer, the subject of prayer, and the method. So first of all, who to pray to? Who are we praying to? And in a way, the answer is very obvious, isn't it? But it's right there at the beginning of the prayer that Jesus teaches, verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Begin by addressing our Father. Who to pray to? Our Father. And it's worth just pausing at the start of the Lord's Prayer to think about how startling a thing that is. It's a little bit like breathing, extraordinary, but we never actually stop to think about it. The fact that right now our diaphragm is uh, contracting, our lungs are expanding, filling with air, and oxygen from the air by a very clever process involving haemoglobin is being transferred into our bloodstream, going around our body, and that's enabling us to actually stay alive. Something like 20 to 30,000 times every single day. Staggering, isn't it? We never actually stop to think about it, though. And if we've actually been in church any length of time, we might just sort of drift over this idea that God is our Father without ever really giving it a lot of thought. But it is really rather extraordinary that Jesus teaches us to pray to Father. And we might think, well, isn't that a kind of pretty standard concept across the different religions and the different faiths and so on? But actually it's not. Um, There's actually no evidence in pre-Christian literature that um, uh, the Jewish um, followers used to address God as their Father, in this way, with the word that Jesus uses, Abba, which is actually a very personal, intimate word, almost a bit like Papa or Daddy. This was completely revolutionary, what Jesus was teaching. In fact, it was his familiarity with his father was one of the reasons which actually Jesus got in trouble. It was incredibly controversial and kind of ended up getting him killed. This is an alien concept to uh, the Muslim religion. Uh, So in Islam and um, god is many things he's he's lord he's almighty he's powerful he's the king he's the creator but it would be outrageous uh, for a faithful muslim to be so presumptuous as to address god in these terms as father uh, in fact one muslim writer that i was reading was saying that so outrageous is this idea that jesus being a good prophet because of course islam reveres jesus as a prophet uh, they say that jesus could never possibly have begun the lord's prayer with these words. He must have been misunderstood or misheard when they wrote this down. Now, I'd suggest it's actually a bit of an alien concept to many atheists or agnostics. Uh, My experience is that for most people who don't believe in God, actually the God that they don't believe in is not a loving father God. So the late great uh, Christopher Hitchens, who was an amazing man, very outspoken atheist, he wrote this. He said, I think it would be rather awful if Christianity were true. Uh, If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did, you'd never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It'd be like living in North Korea, says Christopher Hitchens. Well, I think that's the kind of God that most atheists reject, isn't it? But the fact is, that's not actually who Jesus says God is. He doesn't teach us to pray, dear leader, like we're in North Korea, or uh, dear sir, like we're at school, or any of the other perfectly good biblical metaphors for who God is, our King, or our Creator, or our Lord. As much as he is all of those things, that's not who Jesus says we're to pray to. He says we're to address God as our Father. that's how jesus addressed him now sometimes people pray dear god and that's not wrong but actually i sometimes just sort of inwardly think actually that's maybe a little bit less than what jesus hoped for from his disciples when they prayed because he called god father he calls him six times in those verses we've just read father 17 times throughout the sermon on the mount which chapter six of matthew is part of and over 150 times in the gospel. So I guess our question this morning, at the beginning of, of, of this, is who do we pray to? John Wesley famously had uh, his encounter where his heart was strangely warmed. You may have heard about that. It's amazing, John Wesley, amazing, extraordinary evangelist who he had his heart strangely warmed. It's lovely words, isn't it? Wouldn't we want an encounter like that, where we encountered God and had our hearts strangely warmed? Well, re- reflecting on what happened to John Wesley many years later, he was looking back and thinking, what actually happened? And he said it wasn't the moment when he became a Christian. What happened to him there when his heart was strangely warmed wasn't his conversion. He'd always been a Christian, actually, before that. But what happened was his relationship with God changed. He went from being a servant... To being a child. So who to pray to? Jesus says, our Father, and that is revolutionary. Second of all, then, what should we pray for? What should we pray for? And actually, the trouble with a lot of our praying, I think, is it's fairly one-dimensional. We can get it stuck in a bit of a rut of praying and only pray for one thing. But I think healthy prayer, Jesus is wanting to say to us, is a little bit like healthy eating. You've got to hit all the major food groups. I never quite know what all the major food groups are. I'm fairly sure chocolate's one of them, cheese is another, perhaps wine, I think. I'm not sure, but they keep changing them, don't they, the food groups? Whatever they are, the point is you're supposed to get into all of them, aren't you? If you're going to eat healthy, you need to have all the different categories. And it's a little bit like that with prayer. In these few short verses, Jesus actually introduces us, I think, to no less than six different kinds of prayer. Adoration, intercession, petition, confession, direction and protection. All in the Lord's Prayer, adoration. He starts off with adoration, doesn't he? Verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Not Harold be thy name, as one friend of mine thought that God's name was Harold for so many years as a child. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means God's name is holy and honoured and glorified. And it's a prayer for the honour of Jesus' name, God's name. The Father, we love you, we worship and adore you. That's why we started off this service. How great thou art. Adoration. And then is intercession after that. Prayer for the world, verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Interceding for the world. Praying for God's purposes to prevail. It's obviously what... We're doing, at the moment, praying for the Ukraine, aren't we? Everyone's desperately praying that the peace would reign, that God's kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness would descend uh, upon that place. In Ukraine, as in heaven, we ought to pray. And it's only after we've offered adoration to God and intercession for our world that Jesus then encourages us to bring our petition before God. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. And uh, we, I think we might think, isn't it a bit unholy to ask God for stuff? But Jesus encourages us too. He says, bring our needs before God. He's our Father. Of course he cares about our needs. We should pray for what it is that we need. Our petitions we bring to him. And he cares about our hearts. He longs to forgive us our sins. And so there's next, next comes confession in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors or our trespasses as we prayed at school. I always thought, I've never been in anyone's field. I'm not supposed to. Why are we praying for forgiveness of trespasses? They're talking about sins. He longs to forgive us. We pray for confession, which is what we've just done in our service as well. The service follows something of a pattern, adoration, intercession, confession. And then direction. Lead us not into temptation, verse 13. Guide us along your straight paths. And protection, sixthly, deliver us from the evil one. And I sometimes wonder whether if we prayed for God's direction and his protection a little bit more frequently, maybe we would have to ask for forgiveness uh, less often. Prevention is better than cure. So I guess the question is, are our prayers balanced? Um, Or have we got rather a focus on one of these aspects of prayer more than the others? Are we just sort of perhaps just constantly coming to God with our needs, with our shopping list of what we require? Give me my daily bread. But we never actually stop to ask for God's will to be done. Or maybe we're spending all of our time wallowing in our sort of sinfulness and, oh, what a wretched uh, sinner I am, asking for forgiveness and confession. But we never actually take a moment to just delight in God's fatherhood and the goodness and the glory of God's holy name. And so I think one of the things that Jesus is wanting to teach us is to reorder our priorities when we come to prayer. Because so often we're so quick to come straight to God with our needs, our daily bread, our guidance, but it's only actually here, after we've prayed for God's name, God's will, God's kingdom, that we pray for our needs, our daily bread, our forgiveness, our guidance and protection and so on. So do we have a balance? And maybe there's one of those in there which we rarely or perhaps have never even prayed for? Why don't we give that a go, this Lent, picking up on one of these? Well, finally, briefly, how? How should we pray? Because maybe we're sitting here thinking, gosh, I just, prayer is very daunting. I'm happy to pray the kind of set prayers in church, but maybe, you know, the idea of, getting into a little group and praying out loud with somebody I've never met before would just be my worst nightmare. I'd never want to do that. Or uh, maybe I've never actually prayed my own prayers um, to God. I'm happy praying other ones which people have prayed before, but praying from the heart um, doesn't come naturally to me. Well, how? There's a few tips in this um, passage. And first of all, Jesus says, we can pray directly. I think this is really amazing what Jesus is teaching here, because imagine we wanted an audience with the Queen. Uh, Wouldn't that be fantastic? We'd never get one. Well, I don't know, maybe you would. Maybe you've got a contact. I think that's the only way you would get an audience with the Queen, isn't it? Is if you knew somebody. Who knew somebody, who knew somebody, who knew somebody. And maybe they said, oh, could you have a word with her? And then you might get three minutes. But who is able to have a conversation with the Queen whenever they've got a need? Her children. And isn't it amazing that God, yeah, he's the king of kings. But he's our father. We can go direct Verse six, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father. We don't need to ask the saints and petition them to intercede on our behalf. We don't need a priest to pray for us. We can pray direct. We can pray simply. I think a lot of us assume that prayer is, oh, it must be so complicated. You've got to use all sorts of clever, fancy theological words when you're praying in order to do it properly. But Jesus says, actually, verse seven, no, when you pray, don't babble like pagans who think they'll be heard because of their many words. Actually, it's remarkable how short the sentences are in this prayer, isn't it? In verse 10, your kingdom comes, only three words. Your will be done. Give us our daily bread. I mean, anyone can pray like that, can't they? Pray simply. And I've been so helped by this. This week, I've been trying to pray for a friend of mine who's really going through hell at the moment. And I'm trying to pray, and I've told him I'm trying to pray, and I, I don't know what to say, actually. I've just sort of been going, oh, God, would you help him? And thinking, well, that's not a very good prayer. But actually, Jesus says, you don't need lots of words. Actually, verse 8, your Father knows what you need before we ask him. It's so comforting that we can pray so simply to God. And we can pray confidently. Confidently, because these are remarkably confident prayers, aren't they? Please do this. Please do that. Please give us our daily bread. Please forgive us our sins. It's It's not flimsy prayer. A false prayer, I think, is, is prayer that isn't unsure of whether we're actually allowed to come and ask for these things. Back to verse 7, he says that false praying is when we think we'll be heard because of our many words. In other words, the reason why God's going to answer our prayer is because we've got the words right. And then it's all down to us, isn't it? Prayer becomes like some sort of magic spell. You've got to get the words in the right order, otherwise it doesn't work. Prayer's not like that at all. We can pray confidently... As children who love their father are able to, and either he will say yes, or he'll say no, which, by the way, is an answer, or he'll say wait. No is an answered prayer. But if he's a loving father, well, surely we've got to trust that he knows best because what child is given by their parents everything they're asked for? If we did that, Fred would eat nothing but blueberries for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Blueberries he asks for all the time, we say no. (laughs) No. Our father, verse 8, knows what we need before we ask him. Well, why pray if he already knows? Same reason a parent asks their child, what have you been up to at school today? They know perfectly well what they've been up to at school today. They're not after information. They're after conversation. So this Lent, why don't we have a go at learning to pray? I remember we were given a trampoline when we were kids. Dad got us a trampoline. And uh, it was amazing. And I was around at a friend's house, and he also had a trampoline. And this friend of mine, on his trampoline, could do somersaults and backflips. And I thought, that is absolutely amazing. I would love to be able to do that. And so I got up on his trampoline. There were a few of us there. And I thought, right, I'm going to give it a go. And then I thought, ooh, uh, everybody's watching. I'm a bit nervous. What if I mess it up? And so I didn't. And so what I did was a couple of days later, I went back home to a time when I knew everybody wasn't going to be around. Parents were out. Siblings weren't there. The garden was private. Everything, I had a trampoline to myself. It was just me and the trampoline. And we said, right, I'm going to give this a go. And I did. And I did a backflip. I can't do it now. But I did it at the time. But, just, but I think prayer might be like that for us. Okay, right, this Lent, I'm going to give it a go. Well, Jesus says to us, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room. Don't need anyone else there. Close the door. And pray to your Father who is unseen. Why don't we give that a go this Lent? Let's pray.